0: Hey, and welcome to Crucial Conversations. I'm Peter. And I'm Kevin. And we're back for episode 15, week three with this new way of doing things. Can you believe this is like the third episode?
1: That's a little scary. Yeah.
0: I think by episode five, we'll finally not be awkward. No. I will always be awkward. That's my job. Okay. Anyways, if you are not yet subscribed, check out the links below. Subscribe. Search on iTunes, Google Play, or your regular podcast app. Search for Crucial Productions, and you'll find us. You want to find out more about who we are, what we do? Go to crucialproductions.org. And if you want to support us financially, that would be awesome. Crucialproductions.org slash give. And we're also on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Crucial Productions.
1: Here's the thing. If they only have a certain amount of money to support a charitable organization, mm-hmm. which one should they choose?
0: Oh, their church first. Their
1: local congregation. Yes. Please do that first.
0: Definitely that. What What you give to us should be extra above and beyond your tithe that you're giving to your church. Yes, Don't Please. Don't pick us
1: first. Please support your local congregation. Yep,
0: definitely. So, Kevin, we're going to try something new this time. We've we've said in the last two episodes that all of Scripture is about Jesus. And we mentioned, you know, in the first episode, a uh, passage in John where Jesus said that. And last episode, we mentioned a passage in Luke. So, I was kind of thinking that that might be a good segment to start each episode with for a while, surely not forever. So, I don't know, we'll have to to come up with a name for this segment. Any listeners, feel free to suggest a name, questions at crucialproductions.org. Send us an email. Also, if you have questions, you can send them to questions at crucialproductions.org. We will do our best to answer them. Yeah, we're also on Facebook and Instagram, so you can send us messages there. I, I promise we'll check. Yep. So here is our scripture passage for today, and it's a long one, but that's great because we like reading scripture. So, this is the verse that shows how Scripture is all about Jesus today. Fun. <laughs> Acts eight twenty six through 40 Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go to the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem and to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter." to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So here we have Philip meeting a eunuch. The eunuch reading an Old Testament passage, very, very confused about what it's about. And Philip says, hey, it's all about Jesus. So it's just a strange encounter
1: because... The eunuch has traveled to Jerusalem in order to worship. Mm -hmm. And while he was at the temple, he would have encountered Jewish readings of the Torah. He would have encountered Jewish readings of the prophets. Mm -hmm. And so he's going home and he's reviewing perhaps something he heard in the temple or something someone referred to, or he's doing his scripture reading. And his question is really an interesting question because he's basically trying to figure out who is this really about? Mm-hmm. I mean, really, that's the fundamental question. Is is I'm reading this book; it's a sacred text, but I don't really understand who it's about. Yeah, and Philip uses that this Old Testament passage to tell the good news about Jesus, and this is this is so fundamentally important to the way that we learn to read Scripture is the question of, who is this about? It's actually quite easy. Jesus. It's about Jesus. (laughs) And you go, but that doesn't always make sense that it's about Jesus. That's right. That's why we keep reading and learning, because it isn't always as obvious as Isaiah 53, which we know, duh, that's about Jesus. Obviously the suffering servant. But at this point in the history of interpretation, it wasn't actually that obvious that Isaiah 53 was about Jesus. This is something that Philip was learning by the power of the Holy Spirit from the apostles. He's learning to read scripture now in light of the death and resurrection of Jesus as the key interpretive matrix for all of scripture. Mm -hmm. You see this in the preaching of Peter at the beginning of the book of Acts, where he's literally throwing together psalms and prophets and the history of Israel and saying, hey, this was all, all of it about this Jesus whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead. And the and the most amazing statement at the end of Peter's preaching in Acts 2 is that this guy that you crucified the way to be saved is to be baptized in his name. Hmm. I mean that's an amazing change from he's the guy you killed because you thought he was a false messiah but the way to be saved is to be baptized into his name. Mm-hmm. And so now we see that that the Old Testament scriptures all about Jesus. The New Testament church, all about Jesus. Baptism, all about Jesus. Yeah. Salvation, all about Jesus. Right? It just keeps coming. And the more you get into it, the more you read, the more you study, the more you see that that Jesus is is the goal of all of this. He's the content of all of this. And, and the thing that Lutherans bring to this equation in a unique and blessed way is that he's the one doing all of this. Yeah. You know, it's it's not that we're acting with Jesus as the goal to what we're doing. No, Jesus is actually the one who's doing the saving. Just like he's the one who did the death and resurrection, he's the one who's doing the saving. So when we talk about anything that has to do with salvation, we know who's doing it. Yep not and, us. And that's the blessedness of the good news. Yeah. Is that this is God's action. He has done it in Christ and it's for you, Peter.
0: Amen. So one of the things that has fascinated me but also been extremely helpful as you and I have been been talking about this, Kevin, is that the the disciples themselves were learning this as they went along. I mean, last last week, or maybe the week before, you and I were just chatting, and you had mentioned, and I agreed with this, that the disciples before Christ's crucifixion were not Christians in the same sense that we are today. Right. They're, They're still... I mean, we see this throughout the entire New Testament. They have no idea what Jesus is saying. They don't understand him. They don't understand him. They didn't understand him. I mean, it's all these things they don't understand. So, based on that... We're in very safe ground saying they they were not Christians in the same way because they did not have the same faith that we have, and this as we're looking at Philip talking to Ethiopian eunuch, we see someone who now does mm-hmm. see Scripture in that way, but he had to be taught to see Scripture in that way, and right. in the last couple of weeks you know we've mentioned. Luke 24, when Jesus says yep. he opens up the scriptures, the law and the prophets and all of Moses and shows here how it's about me. And here's Philip now passing that on. He learned it and now he's passing it on. Mm-hmm. And we see the other disciples and Paul himself going off to Arabia for a couple of years to learn, right, to learn relearn, because you know he he knew scripture like the back of his hand. He had it memorized. And yet he didn't... Read Isaiah fifty three and say, "Oh, that's Jesus." Right. He had to be taught. Right. That that's Jesus after the fact. Yeah. So, so let's
1: let's go back just for a second because some people are probably turning off their podcasting app at this point and saying <laughs> the <laughs> apostles were Christians. Yes, they had faith in Jesus. The yeah. point is that. That they did not have faith in Christ crucified and risen again. Yeah. They didn't get that. Even right. as Jesus kept saying, I'm going to Jerusalem to die, even as Jesus said, Who do you say I am? And Peter said you're the Christ, They're like, Yeah, that's that's right, but you have no idea what Christ means. Yeah. So that's really what we're saying. Because is that,
0: right after that he says, I'm not gonna yeah, let you get killed. You're, you're not it's gonna like, go die and rise. We're yeah. not gonna let that happen.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so so we know that their faith was not what we would call a creedal faith from the Christian point of view, is that Mm -hmm. they would not affirm the teachings of the creeds of the church because they weren't yet believing that Jesus was the Messiah in that he died and rose. Yeah, See, they were still thinking Messiah in so many different categories, and they did not involve death and resurrection.
0: Particularly the political... Overthrow the Romans category, they were, they, that was a very popular There were kingly one.
1: ideas with the son of David. There were the prophet ideas that he would come and kind of be like Elijah and Elisha, but better. Mm-hmm. There were some you know, eschatological in times type prophecies that were tied to Messiah, especially in Daniel 7. And so we're not exactly sure what each apostle was thinking with the word Messiah. But it's very clear from the, from the Gospels that none of them we're thinking, oh, you're going to die and rise again.
0: On the third day. On the third
1: day. Yeah. <laughs> and so even when Jesus says this explicitly, the disciples are like, uh, no, that doesn't make any sense. So that's what we mean by saying yeah. they weren't New Testament Christians yet. And so what, what Peter's getting at, and it's very true, and you can see this in New Testament text, that they go back and they reread the Old Testament, and they're kind of like, oh, yeah, it's there. And it's there. Mm -hmm. And it's there and there and there and there and there and there and there. And everywhere I look, I see that the point of the text is Jesus as the Messiah in this way. Yep. It's pointing to his death and resurrection. It's pointing to his promises. It's pointing to him coming to the church and the sacraments. It's pointing to justification by grace through faith. It's it's pointing to Trinity, Mm -hmm. right? All these New Testament doctrines that we confess, they're saying, look... It's in the sacred text. It's not something new. Right. It's actually the right way to read the text and always has been. We just didn't know it yet. So now that it's happened, now this definitive action of God to save mankind has occurred, death and resurrection of Jesus, now the Spirit teaches the church to read Scripture. Mm -hmm. And the result of them reading Scripture this way is actually the writing of the New Testament scriptures. Yeah. So now we we believe that we stand on the teaching of the prophets, Old Testament, and the apostles, New Testament, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. And this is all we're saying.
0: Yeah. Right. Well, this, this is why I'm excited about this, this segment and adding it in, is because we get the opportunity to walk through those different passages with, with you our listeners. Kevin and I, we get to Great. discuss that. And it, it's not that we are like the disciples in, you know, any special sense. I mean, w- but to get to see that journey and to get to see scripture in that way, it's it's wonderful and and it's exciting. And so I, I like this segment that we get to do that. Yeah. And I would encourage you listeners, if you have passages, favorite passages of yours that Point to Christ and how all of Scripture is about Christ. Feel free to email those to us, and we'd love to discuss those and you know pick one of yours to talk about in this segment uh, in the future. So feel free to do that. All right. So next, yes, we're gonna we're gonna transition now to our next segment because we have a listener question. Yay! So David had a couple questions after episode thirteen, the lens of Jesus. So that's where we kind of laid out, went through John. Um, lots lots of John, we like John. John is the best. <laughs> John is pretty awesome. Um, and so talking about this, seeing things through the lens of Jesus, and we talked a little bit, just a little bit about baptism and what it looks like to view baptism through the lens of Jesus as opposed to you know, maybe an academic exercise and getting all our doctrinal ducks in a row on what baptism is, um, which that's a good thing to have your doctrinal ducks in a row <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on what baptism is and which Bible passages talk about that. But we're we're talking about it from a different perspective and then what can potentially come from proclaiming it in that different perspective. So David had some questions for us. Uh, first, here's what he first said. I was just listening to the podcast a third time third time. That's impressive. Holy cow. <laughs> and I was wondering, could you expand on the section in baptism a little bit? The bit in the podcast is pure gold, but it also feels like the elevator pitched to a billion dollar idea, and I would like to hear it fleshed out a bit more. We'd love to do that. <laughs> so here's what we're going to do. He actually had a second question for us that I think helps us flesh it out. So I'm going to read his second question scenario, and, and then we'll use that question to flesh this out a bit more. So David says, a previous acquaintance of mine recently posted about being rebaptized. I don't know them well enough and Facebook being the bastion of understanding that it is. I love the sarcasm yes, there. That's, that's a wonderful <laughs> I don't want to engage this particular time. Probably a wise move. Yes. Yeah. However, it has raised the question for me of how to talk about this with with this type of person, with an individual like this. Not the abstract theological conversation, or as as I said, getting your doctrinal ducks in a row necessarily, but with somebody for whom this was a powerfully emotional decision born out of their desire to be a sincere Christian, and then wrestling with coming away from a particular recurring sin. You know, this, I think this individual wrestling with a particular sin found the emotional, powerful experience of rebaptism helped them, you know, be released from that or work through that. This would definitely not be a one-and-done conversation if they were you know, to ever have that conversation, but I wonder where or how would you start? Pushing them on being wrong is likely to make them double down, both because that is what we naturally do when we feel attacked, right? and even if the other person is making a compelling argument, and additionally, because for them, this was an emotionally significant moment in their Christian identity. So, Kevin, let's talk about baptism through the lens of Jesus in light of this scenario. How do we approach this discussion through the lens of Christ and with a focus on proclaiming the gospel to them? Well, I think
1: there's some, some real important spiritual issues that this person is raising, and what we want to do is, is help them wrestle with this idea of a sin that they're trying to conquer or a sin that they feel they have conquered. Mm-hmm. And it's always kind of fun because you you feel kind of like you're in Sunday school answering these questions where it's like, don't forget that when we talk about sin and conquering, we know the person who does that. Yeah. And it's not me. And it's not you. It's Jesus. And, and that's kind of what we want to do in this discussion is, is talk about... You know, when a person is looking for a sign or some kind of thing to show the world or to show themselves or to find comfort mm-hmm. in the idea that they've gotten over a sin or they've conquered something evil in their life or something that they, they struggle with, where do we look to that? How do we how do we find a way to say, yeah, this is this is something that, that is no longer a temptation to me, thank God for that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of Denominations will teach that that baptism is kind of this public statement of mm-hmm. commitment to God, right? I'm no longer an
0: outward sign of an inward commitment right. is a very popular, phrase, right. so, and, that's, and that's what I grew up with.
1: And what happens is is when when my commitment to God is questioned because of an unrepentant sin or or a constant sin that I can't get out of, yeah, then baptism or rebaptism becomes a way for me to show that now I'm really committed. That I've licked that problem, and now I'm really in good graces with God. Either,
0: either licking it, or it can become the thing that gives you that little extra bit yeah. to, to conquer it. I, right. You know, I've I've experienced that as well, where it's not the demonstration that I have finally done it; it's the extra thing I need to help me a finally little boost do it. Yeah, yeah it's a that little boost to just get me across the finish right, line. Right.
1: A little bolus dose or something, and yeah, and you kind of get some spiritual oomph to get over it. Which is which is is all things that we want to help people affirm, and and truly, uh, we do believe in a sanctified life. Yeah. So so we do want people to um, not revel in their sin, but turn from it.
0: Right. Right. Well, and I think that's the struggle that David's friend is is going through as well. Is that having gotten that that boost, that emotional experience, it did come with it a motivation to. Stop that sin, which is great. For for I don't know if we don't know if it's for a time, if it lasted for a little bit, or if it's still ongoing and it's it's kind of stuck. And so that's that's the difficulty. We can't just say, "Oh well, that's stupid. You're just following your emotions," and you know that's mysticism. Right? You you can't do that because this individual has had the difference has been made here. Right. There there is a difference that has that has come about, and we don't want to minimize. That so difference.
1: what we also don't want to do is encourage them to look in the wrong place yeah. to find out why that difference is taking place and who gets a credit for it. Yeah. And, and this is one of the places where, where law and gospel really is an important thing for us to keep in mind as we have conversations with people, is that we don't want to make it a law issue even about how they believe, we want to continue to encourage them to see the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. We want to rejoice that a person has identified a sin, is repenting of that sin, and is learning to, hopefully, by the power of God, turn from that sin and serve their neighbor and love the Lord, right? Mm -hmm. So we want to affirm that. But what we want to do is we want to continue to push them in the direction of, of, that's the job of the cross. See, that's, that's exactly what Jesus... Did for you on the cross. That's exactly what Jesus did in his death and his resurrection is he conquered sin. And when that is manifest in your life, that's the Holy Spirit working in your life. Mm-hmm. And whether or not you ever sin again does not negate God's grace. I mean, just just run in your mind to 1 John chapter 2. I know you got it all memorized. We all do, right? <laughs> 1 John chapter 2 begins this way. It's just it's one of the best passages. It says, "Hey, I'm writing these things to you so that you won't sin."
0: But when you do sin,
1: and then it can, and then John's like, "Well, okay. Okay, now here you go. But but when you do sin, right? But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father." Yeah. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not just for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Mm-hmm. And and what you don't hear in there is baptism. Yeah. See, see, John is running us to the actual source of our salvation, which is Jesus' death and resurrection. And and the discussion of rebaptism baptism is kind of the question of, what can I do to show this? And, and that's not the role of baptism.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: See, baptism is simply the way that God brings us into the death and resurrection of Christ. If you've been baptized, you're in Christ. And when you come to a place where you've conquered a sin in your life or you perceive that you've done something in a sanctification type of way or the Holy Spirit has worked something in you, you don't need to re-get into Christ you just thank God that you're in Christ. Yeah. And and the church rejoices with you and brothers encourage you in this. And that's the role of holy absolution is your pastor can say, This sin is removed from you, not because you've learned to conquer it, because Christ has conquered it for you and the absolution is yours. Yeah. You're in Christ. And so we we don't discuss whether or not re-baptism is right. What we want to do is get them to see that that the whole issue of sin and repentance and Death and resurrection is a cross and resurrection issue. It's not me showing God or the world that I've gotten better at this. It's a death and resurrection issue, and that occurs at the cross. And if you've been baptized into that, you don't need to be rebaptized into that. The death has been died. The resurrection has been raised. You are dead. You are raised. Your sin is forgiven. You're in Christ. Mm -hmm. Baptism is did that for you, and now you're seeing the manifestation of that in your sanctification.
0: And no amount of additional water, additional times, will make that any more true or any more applicable to you.
1: Nor will your inability to conquer sin negate any of that. Yeah. And, and that's the other danger in this, is when we get wrapped up in saying, well, I need to do this to show or to get a little boost of spirituality to conquer a sin or to whatever, we're kind of entering in the mode of measuring God's faithfulness by my ability to live out a sanctified life. Yeah. And that's actually more dangerous than worrying about the issue of rebaptism.
0: So we've actually got... There are two... I'm going to call them red herrings in this, in this discussion. So... The first one we've we've discussed is, is the rebaptism. We're tempted when talking to a friend about this to focus on the rebaptism. And so we'll pull out, you know, proof text, there's there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, therefore there's no rebaptism. The other one is to focus overly on the powerful emotional experience. Um, right. And and that and and pointing out that you know a powerful emotional experience doesn't is not the holy spirit talking to you or it doesn't have to be or it, you know it's you can't say for sure because i had this experience that was the holy spirit communicating to me but so those two things when i see this come up my own temptation is to focus on those two things and let's fix the theology around rebaptism and let's fix the mysticism, you know, the emotionalism, and make sure that we've fixed those two problems and, and point. But that's not what we're talking about here, because neither of those really encapsulates looking at this through the lens of Jesus.
1: So if I, if I convince you that, that your emotions are not actually the Holy Spirit, it's just you promoting or projecting something on a situation, mm-hmm. and we walk away, what are you thinking?
0: Uh, well, I probably don't like you because you right. just told me this emotional experience I had. You probably is have valid? an emotional reaction to what I said. <laughs> yeah, oddly enough. <laughs> well, like David said, you get angry. You, you get, get angry. feel attacked,
1: or or you or you feel like your faith might not be valid. Yeah. Maybe maybe all of this is just emotion. Mm-hmm. And if or if I convince you that your doctrine is wrong and that you need to re-understand baptism because your re-baptism is wrong and misunderstanding scripture passages, well, now I'm probably reading the Bible to find out how wrong you are. Right, I am going to look for a rebaptism passage <laughs> and find it. Right, and we've kind of lost the argument on both sides. It, it doesn't matter if we convince them or not. We've lost the argument. Yeah, because we haven't led them to Christ.
0: And that's why I call those two issues red herrings. Those They're aren't the total actual red-herring. issue. It's
1: not the issue. Yeah, and and that's that's one thing we're really working on, is is making sure that when we discuss the kingdom of God we're discussing Jesus. We're not trying to be right and wrong in order to prove our points. We're trying to be right, meaning point people to Jesus. And if you and I have a discussion about an issue, and the end of the day, I point you to Jesus, and you walk away thinking more about Jesus, his death and resurrection, and how baptism fits into that, Mm -hmm. that's way more important than you walking away feeling condemned because you misunderstood baptism from my point of view or i told you your emotions are not valid you,
0: you know what Or they, angry because or or i'm angry. now going to go find the right. best biblical proof text against your position right and, and and given how many theologians there have been throughout history that have you're gonna different find views it. of baptism yeah.
1: yep you're going to find something on your side
0: <laughs> i mean <laughs> I'll and that's the other five reality commentaries is, at the snap of a finger yeah, that'll give me the opposite you can go on google and find it it's no yeah. problem
1: as a matter of fact you'll you'll easily find Lots of people supporting a lot of heretical ideas very quickly on, on the internet. Yep. And they're using the same Bible we're using. Yeah. And, and what we're, all, we're really trying to say is, you know, baptism is a very important doctrinal issue. And the Bible is very clear what baptism is and isn't. Mm-hmm. We're not denying any of that. Right. But baptism is actually based on the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that's where we want to continue to encourage everyone to look in order to have the discussion about baptism, is to look to see, what did Jesus do on the cross for you? What did he do? What does the empty tomb mean for you? And if I'm dealing with a sin in my life, what do I do with that? And what did Jesus do? Mm -hmm. And the answer is actually, he conquered it on the cross. He rose from the dead for your justification, right? Yeah. And and that's where you want to get you. To say, but, but I want to get rebaptized to show that. You say, no, wait, let's <laughs> let's let's back up there and let's get the focus on and see what Jesus has to say about that.
0: Well what's interesting is when you say it that way, I don't think the next response would be let me get rebaptized to show it. I kind of doubt it. No, because you you get to rebaptism by coming from a different direction entirely. You don't get to re-baptism by starting with Jesus death on the cross and his resurrection for your sin. The the rebaptism usually comes because you're starting from a position of needing like we talked about at the beginning. This thing to demonstrate or to give you the extra boost. So and that's I think that's what we talked about in the, in the episode 2 weeks ago was this what this does to the dynamic of the conversation. So for myself, one of the things that I've been thinking about more is my own attitude going into these conversations. Um, In that I usually, well, historically, I'm trying to get better about it, is you go in to have the right answers. Mm -hmm. And and I want to make sure I've, like we said at the beginning, have my doctrinal ducks in a row, and I'm giving you the right answers, and I've got the right proof texts, and I walk away finding my comfort in the fact that I gave you the right answers. Yeah regardless of what you did with it. if And then I can say, well, you know, you didn't like it. Well, he denied God's word. That's on him. And I find my own justification of however I behaved in that conversation and my own comfort on the fact that, but at least I told them the right things. But what the reality is, when I do that, well, I'm finding my comfort in something other than Christ on the cross for me, mm-hmm. I'm actually making the same mistake I believe you to be making. <laughs> right, exactly. And exactly. In, in the very conversation, I'm placing my trust, finding my comfort in something other than Christ. And I think this is where, in, in reading through the, the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, one of the article on justification is extremely long. Yes. But if you notice how many times the phrase to comfort consciences, or some variation of that comes up in that article, and you realize the entire focus of what they're doing is saying, look, these theological points are important, not because they're the right answers, and they are the right answers. They're important because this is where we find comfort in Christ. And they constantly, Melanchthon is constantly going back to, look, if you do it this way, And you say this thing over here, you're not comforting their conscience with what Christ has done for them. You're trying to comfort it some other way. And so the realization that for myself, in having these conversations, which to be honest are probably more debates Mm -hmm. (laughs) than they are conversations, Mm -hmm. with the goal of making sure that my answer is the right one, it's the orthodox one, and I'm saying it exactly the way it's supposed to be, and if I've done that, I can walk away and be, I'm good. I don't care what happens to them. I did what I'm supposed to do. I think that's actually wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's it, I,
1: I think a lot of this is why we don't like the way that a lot of the New Testament reads, especially the Gospels, hmm. because Jesus doesn't seem to give us the right answer. We just want him to just, just tell us, don't tell parables that don't make any <laughs> that don't have a clear answer or that kind of leave us going, "Well, I think I understand it, but I'm not sure, and people interpret them differently, and come on, Jesus, why don't you just give us the straight answer? And I think this is kind of the point is, is Jesus did not come to give us the right answer. Yeah. He came to die and to rise. He came to give us him. He came to give us himself, yeah. to give us life. And we take that and make sure we've got the right answer. And right answers are important and good. Believe me, I have lots of books. Yeah. You, you
0: do want to have the right understanding answers. Understanding <laughs> how to read text
1: correctly and, and have the right answers. And we love the Book of Concord and how much it helps us make sure we're not straying, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not actually the point of Christianity, is to be right. The point of Christianity is Christ. and and my relationship with my neighbor is actually to serve them the way that christ served them which first and foremost is the giving of himself to them as their life Mm -hmm. that's the goal and so that's really what we're trying to get at is is even these conversations where our doctrinal issues? Yeah, let's let's make sure we get our doctrine right. But but that's way down the line from first of all making sure that we are meeting at the foot of the cross. Yeah, that's the most important thing between you and me.
0: Because what what your friend needs, what I need, Kevin, what you need, is Christ. Is Christ. And in in the midst of any right or wrong answer, we want to make sure that our focus is actually proclaiming. Christ has died for your sins. He paid for them all. And there that's where your comfort is to be found, not in your efforts, uh, your desire to be rebaptized, to demonstrate your commitment, or my desire to have the right answer to show how orthodox and how right I am. Uh, any of those things where I place my trust I need the same thing as my friend does. Right. I need the same thing. David, your friend needs the same thing that you do, and that is Christ crucified for you.
1: And the most amazing thing is Christ's death and resurrection, the effects of that, the forgiveness of sins, the eternal life, the Holy Spirit, this is all given to us freely by mm. God. And, and then we take that... And we give it freely because the most amazing thing is that the eternal almighty God looks at a sinner like me and he reacts by sending his son to save me. Yeah. And that's incredible. That's the most important thing that I know that I believe. And it's the most important thing that I can give to you. So we do that. And then if we want to talk about doctrines and how we we talk about all that correctly. Sure, we can do that. But let's yeah. let's make sure we start there and learn to see all of theology through that lens.
0: We do it in the context of proclaiming Christ and him crucified to everybody. Amen. Amen. This has been crucial conversations. Thanks for joining us this week. We'll be back next week and send us your questions for the new segment and if you got suggestions for naming that segment, that'd be awesome too. We'll we'll take those. Um Follow us on social media. You can find us everywhere, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Subscribe to the podcast. Any final words, Kevin?
1: We'd love to hear from you all. And like we keep saying, make sure you're going to your local congregation, receiving Word and Sacrament ministry there. Read your scriptures daily, and uh, keep us in your prayers. Amen. See you next week. Bye.